scripture reading this morning is found in Job chapter 1. If you turn there with me, right before Psalms, the book of Job chapter 1. We begin our study uh, through the book of Job. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers do have Bibles right in the back. They hold them there for you. If you raise your hand, they'll bring one right to you you can use throughout our service this morning. Job chapter 1. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's holy word. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. They would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would sin and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before, Lord, before the Lord and Satan, before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when the sons and daughters when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone had escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking... There came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. 
Then Job rose and took his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Let's take a moment to pray. To ask if you would remain standing, just bow your heads with me in a moment of prayer. We thank you, Father, for this day. As we come into this building to worship, we pray, Lord, that we would set aside this time as holy unto you. We will free ourselves from distractions and focus on worship to you. Our songs that have reminded us of you and your goodness to us. Your son, your son the Lord Jesus, may we reflect on him. May we think about him. May we commit our hearts to full obedience to him and we do that by listening closely to what you say in your word so that we can know what you say and hear what you speak and commit ourselves to walking in obedience to your precepts, your plan, your word. So open our hearts to receive your word today. Take away those things that would distract us, whether they're present with us or in our minds and thoughts. That we would give ourselves completely to your truth. May you encourage, may you challenge us through your word today. May you be with me as I present your truth. And allow your truth to come forth in a way that you intend by the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to the hearts of your people to challenge their lives, to draw them to you, closer to you, to a committed, faithful, steadfast life of serving you. We thank you for each person that's here today, and we do pray for those who could not be here for sickness. We do pray uh, for those who have been under um, sickness and illness, for some time, we think of Minnie, Sister Minnie, Sister Lola, who's here with us today, thanking you for her. Think of my wife, Donna, thanking you for your care, for her asking you to bless these three in special ways, that you would give them, um, just bless them in their faith, in their trust, in their walk with you as they deal with serious illnesses, that you are able to heal and you are able to sustain them, whether you heal them or not, so that their lives bring glory to you. And that they have a testimony that's rich, that their families and all who will see them can see their love for you and their dependence and trust in you. I pray today for Michael, Michael Christopher Holt, that you would watch over him and bless him. He's in a hospital, and we pray for your care for him, that you would... Um, provide healing to him and give uh, um, wisdom to the medical staff so that they can understand what he needs and 
minister to his needs in that way. I thank you for my dad today. I pray for him, especially realizing today is his 91st birthday. And I pray and thank you for giving him life and sustaining him. I pray that you would just continue to watch over, to bless him, to strengthen him. I know he couldn't be here this morning. And uh, we know that his, his health is failing, but his spirit is so strong. We thank you for that. We thank you for the testimony that he's carried all these years. Thank you for the blessing he's been to me all of these years and testimony and example to me and to uh, my siblings as well. I thank you for Mac Holt, Lord. I thank you for him here. I thank you for him enduring the dialysis regularly each week. And I just pray for you to sustain him, watch over him, and to bless him. I pray for Sister Brenda, Lord, who has been just going through some trials and some challenges with her health. You would encourage her heart and draw her to yourself and allow her to be back here in fellowship here. And then we thank you for Savannah, Lord, as you have watched over her during her car accident during the week. You've protected her during that. We just thank you for that. Pray that you would just continue to, to bless and heal and allow her complete recovery. Lord, we thank you for Cliff and Joyce and bringing them back here safely, giving them a good time on their trip and a safe journey back. And we just pray, Lord, that you would just continue to watch over them. So, Lord, we pray for this service now that you would use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And please be seated. The book of Job is not an unfamiliar book for most of us. It's something we're very familiar with. We need to be reminded, though, of that truth and understand and dig deeper into the truth that's revealed there. First of all, Job is not a fictional character. He's not something that's made up. He is a person that existed. We are told what land he lived in. We reference to him in the New Testament as well, that he's not just a made-up story. He's a real-life individual. And I thank God for his life, and I thank God for the story of his life, because it gives us information that we would not understand otherwise. Several key themes that come out to us in Job, and so we want to explore those as we go through, but let's just look at a few. The main one is, why do the righteous suffer? I was listening to the, um, the uh, summary of our Sunday school classes, and, and I heard them uh, talk about that. Was it in Habakkuk? Is, is that the... Okay, so... Uh, I, approaching that same theme. Lord, why do your people suffer? We asked that question today. I know I asked that question, and you would probably have times in your life where you asked that too. Why am I going through this, Lord? I thought, you know, sometimes we're under the false impression that 
because we worship the Lord that we're free from trouble. Sometimes going in, we have those rose-colored glasses that, hey, if I serve the Lord, my troubles go away. Sometimes, sometimes people uh, uh, sell Christianity that way. They, they, they say that's a part of Christianity, that if, if you would serve the Lord, then you would have less trouble or no trouble at all. In fact, some use uh, uh, that teaching to say, your trouble are because you're not serving him fully or there's something wrong in the way that you're serving him. Now, obviously, we have to look at that. We have to look and see and, and, and take note of those areas in our lives when we are fall short of what God expects us to do. But to think that all trouble is because of personal sin is to err and not understand God's plan for us. And so Job helps us to see that. Why do the righteous suffer? We have, I can note, maybe three causes for our suffering that we usually look at, and, and one is personal sin. We, we suffer because we've made poor decisions or we've, we've committed sin in our life that, that hurts us in, in, in other ways. Now, yes, that's true. We all suffer in some ways because of personal sin. But that's not the only reason that suffering or trials come into our life. Sometimes it's the sin of others. <laughs> now, we're good at that one. You caused me this trouble. You caused this, this, this hardship to come on me. And that's also true. I'm sure we have cases where others have affected us and their wrong has hurt us or wronged us or at least affected us in some way. So, yes, that may be the case as well. But one that we fail to look at until we look at the book of Job is sometimes the righteous suffer because of God's design. You go, what? God designed this suffering for me? Why in the world would he do a thing like that? Why would he suffer? Now, that's a question that I can't answer. And the Bible doesn't often give you an answer as to why God does what he does or why he chose, chose to do things a certain way. We can always ask that question, but we don't always get an answer. Job never got an answer. He never got a specific answer. And you may be going through something that you may never get an answer for. But that puts us in a predicament that we have doubts, we have questions, and now, how are we going to serve? Another question that comes up in the study of Job is, is God just in his sovereignty? We understand that God is so sovereign. Even unbelievers oftentimes understand that God is sovereign. In fact, they shake a fist at God. And you, you didn't have to do it like this. I know you're in control, but why did you do this? They shake a fist, and we can fall into that same rut as well. Is God just in his sovereignty? It's a question. Is God ruling, and, and, and the things that are happening to me, is God okay with that? Is, is he allowing that to happen? Is he just in allowing those things to happen? So we ask that question. That question has been asked throughout Scripture. Jesus on the cross, my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? Can you think of anyone more just than Jesus? 
and more afflicted than him for the wrong of others and to no wrong of himself. The word Job could, in fact, mean enemy. <laughs> there are times when we serve God, we look at God as an enemy. The way that he's in control and allowing things in our life, we say, God, why? This is something an enemy would do to me. So it challenges us, us in our thought. And all of those thoughts challenge, challenge us in this one thing. Faithfulness under trial. Faithfulness under trial. You and I don't always get an answer as to why we're going through what we're going through. We don't even get warning sometimes. It just hits us. And the question now becomes, how do you and I respond in the circumstances that we live in right now? That's the real question. When I look at James in the New Testament, James chapter 5, verse 11, and I know our ladies are going to be going through this in their Bible study, and, uh, you know, I've been kind of reading ahead and, and uh, studying ahead, so I have some of these questions here. But James chapter 5, verse 11, it says this, Behold, we considered those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and mercy. He refers back to Job, and he calls Job steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. Now, James does deal with trials. If you look in James chapter 1, Verse 2, he says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Y'all ain't listening. Y'all not reading either. Some are. Heidi had the right word. Steadfastness. Verse 3. James 1, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's the trials, it's the challenges, it's the hardships that come to us in our lives that God uses to produce something, and he produces steadfastness. So it talks about the steadfastness of Job and how he got there, or how it was displayed, how it was tested. He was tested. In that same James 1, in the same chapter, verse 12, it says this. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. It doesn't say blessed is the man who never has any trials. Because that's how we think. We pray that way. Lord, help me not to have any trials today. <laughs> now, I don't blame you for praying that way. I don't like trials either. But it says God has a purpose in it. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. And then let's read the rest. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who loved him. When he has stood the test, Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. 
So he makes a difference. He makes a, a, a distinction between test and tempting. God is testing us. He's allowing things in our life or even, in fact, bringing things into our life for the purpose of producing steadfastness and not producing falling to sin. That's what temptation is, so that you, you may be tempted so that you would fall into sin. God doesn't do that. That's not his purpose in bringing trials. In fact, he says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. So God has a purpose in the trials of our life, not that we will fall and fail, but that we would turn to him and that we remain steadfast under trial. Think about the trials in your life. Each one of you has some. Maybe not the same, maybe not even to the same degree, but each of you have a trial. And the question that Job raises with us today is, are you going to remain steadfast under trial? What is it that causes us to be steadfast under trial? To know who God is and to fully trust in him. To fully trust in God means not just to believe that he exists, but to believe in him, his goodness, his call of you, and his saving of you through his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you trusting in Christ? And if you're trusting in Christ and he is your rock, you have all that you need then to be steadfast under trial. You begin to understand a little bit of how God works, and you trust God even when you don't understand. That's one of the questions that come up in Job is, are we going to understand all that's going on? answer clearly is no. God allows things in our life that are mysteries to us. He does that purposely. I want to look at a couple, couple verses that, that we can look at that. We, in fact, that's one of the questions that I ask that comes up in, in Job. Why does God keep us in mystery? Look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14. Just a little further than Job, right? Job's got Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. Chapter 7, verse 14. There it says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that we may not find out anything that will be after him. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Let's just break that down a little bit. It's a lot to digest. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. It says good things happen and we, you know, we, we call somebody, we text somebody, we share the joy, right? Guess what just happened? And we share it. Do that, it says. It says, in the day of adversity, consider. Consider what? God has made the one as well as the other. You know what we do? When, when good things happen, we rejoice. When bad things happen, we go, uh-oh, I forgot to do my Bible reading this morning. That's why it happened. Right? In other words, God is punishing me. Now, perhaps you did forget to do your Bible reading. And you need to do that. You need to be steadfast. 
but that may or may not have anything to do with what's happening to you. It may have something to do with how you respond to it, but God is allowing things in your life. And he says, realize that he allows good things and adversity. He allows them both. So that's the one thing in that verse. He allows them both. The second thing in that verse is you can't always figure it out, and God didn't intend for you to figure it out. You're not going to trust God because you got it all figured out. Because you know all of God's specific plan in your life. None of us knows that. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't always know why God is doing today what he's doing today in the way that he's doing it. And we may not even know it tomorrow. In fact, God has some things that we are sure not to understand. So he says this. Consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Some people act like they got it all figured out. They're confused. They're mixed up. They don't have it all figured out. You won't either. So if you're coming to church and if you're studying the Bible so that you can figure it all out, let me warn you now, you're not going to do that. What you are to do, though, is to trust God in your limited knowledge. Let me, let me just share a verse or two. Uh, but before we get from Ecclesiastes, look at chapter 8 in Ecclesiastes, verse 14. There is a vanity that takes place on the earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. <laughs> the writer, like, he was like giving up. He's like, man, you mean to tell me I looked at this thing, I checked it out, I searched it, and I found out this dude was righteous and something happened to him bad. And this dude, he, he was as evil as they get, and good stuff happened to him. He's scratching his head. Ecclesiastes says that's the way life is. That's the way life is. So don't get mad at God when these things happen. It says, look, understand the system, the world that we live in, and the effects of sin, and how God is working in those things. He's working in such ways that yes, injustices happen. Injustices happen. Now he goes on in verse 17, and he says here, where am I? Ecclesiastes 8, verse 17. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. In other words, there are some things that are going to remain a mystery to us, though we might gain all wisdom. There are some things that are mystery. Now, what, what are we supposed to take from that? Is this. You're not going to serve God and trust God based on knowing all or understanding everything, what are you going to serve him or trust him on? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 
chapter 5. Verse 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We're going to trust God, not because we understand it all or see it all. Because we trust him. That sounds goofy. We're going to trust him because we trust him. Yes. We're going to decide to trust God, not because we have it all figured out, but because we know him to be sovereign and loving in spite of the circumstances and what they may lead us to think. In other words, God is good. And we know that he is good and we will be steadfast under trial regardless of what happens to us. The greatest picture of that is Jesus Christ himself. I mentioned he said on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But on that same cross, one of his last words was, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. He's saying, Father, I trust you even unto death. And as I lay stretched out here on this cross in agonizing pain and sure to die, and you will not rescue me, I commit myself to you. So the book of Job helps us as we wrestle with those thoughts. Let's then turn to this first chapter in Job and see how God uncovers his plan for us. The first five verses speak of Job's integrity. Job's integrity. We read it. We see where he came from, but the key is in verse 1. It says, a man whose name was Job... And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Look at verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. God has spoken in that first verse. And in that eighth verse, we see a quote from him. That Job's character, he is a blameless man. He is an upright man. He is a good and godly man. He's one who fears God and turns away from evil. Now, God doesn't suggest here that Job is a sinless man. Man, we know that, that there is no sinless man outside of the God-man, Jesus Christ. And we see as we continue in the book that Job has some things that God scolded him about. But Job's character, his way of living, his reputation, his testimony was that he was a godly man. Now, why is that important? It's important because the question comes later on in the book from Job's friends. Is Job? Fess up. There's something hidden in your life 
that you're not telling us about that God has put his finger on and that's why you're suffering. At the beginning of the story, we're told this, that Job is, in fact, a godly man. There is no blatant, hidden sin in his life that brings God's judgment upon him. Job's character is good. Now, that just makes the question even harder. But then why does he suffer? The second point in chapter 1 is in verse 6 through 12, and we see this meeting in heaven. This gives us insight into something we would not normally know and a view that we would not normally see. Look in verses 6 through 12. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. The term sons of God has a reference to God's messengers, his angels. And it says, there came a day when they came to present themselves before the Lord. And so we see a council meeting. We see a meeting where God is sitting at the head, and these, these beings of his come and report to him. And, it, and then it fills us in with this truth. And Satan also came along with them. So it's not like he's counted in, in, in the, the uh, righteous angels, but that he is a part that also reported to God. Now, he didn't just sneak in. He didn't just slip in because nobody comes into God's presence until, unless God says, I want you in my presence. But he's distinguished from the others that are there at the meeting. The point here is that all are accountable before God and all answer to God. There is none that does his own thing outside of uh, the control of God. And so we see in this meeting, they come together, and it says, The Lord asked Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth, walking up and down on it. So he has a realm. He has this earth that he can call and claim his own, and he has freedom on it to roam and to move. Now, that should be a scary thing. Except we just finished our study in 1 John that says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. We just looked at the end of 1 John chapter 5 when it says the whole world lies under the control of the evil, the wicked one. We understand that truth, and we see how that truth is consistent throughout the Word of God. And yet God's people, though we live on earth, are under the protection of God himself. We see that in this meeting that's coming up. So notice God answers, asks the questions, and Satan gives the answer. Who's in control? And then it's God who offers this in verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, you and I will be in the background of this narrative and say, no, 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 don't mention Job. Don't tell him nothing about him. Don't brag on Job. You know that's just going to cause him to attack Job. But God goes on 
He says, I, I want to ask you something. Have you considered my servant Job? And then God says this, and we read this before. There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. We can see that the life of Job brought glory to God, that God would speak of him before in his meeting. And Satan didn't like that. You know, your testimony goes out. And if you want to throw a punch at Satan, then, <laughs> then what you should do is live a life that brings glory to God because he hates that. And what does he do? He does attack it. And he says this, does Job fear you for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. Satan says, God, you've protected him. And you blessed him. Now, that certainly is true. God had protected him and blessed him. You know, our prosperity gospel today that, 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 that just mixes up this, this truth, it says that, you know, if, if you would serve God right, you'd be prosperous and you'd be blessed. But that's only half truth. You want to bring out the whole truth, say you would also be under Satan's scrutiny and you'll be sure to encounter trials in your life of which you will suffer under those trials and it may seem like God is in fact your enemy. The word Job or the name Job speaks of. And so there, there's more to it than just Obey God and you'll be blessed. This Christian walk is, is fuller than that simple uh, 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 truth that doesn't really envelop and, and, and involve all of the truth. Just a part of it. And we can see how people give in to that. They want to be blessed. Well, a lot of people don't even want to serve God. They just want to be blessed. They want to come in to the house of God amongst the people of God and be blessed. How can I be blessed, they asked, instead of asking, how do I honor God? How do I bring glory to him? And so Job makes the accusation. Excuse me, Satan makes the accusation. Satan is the accuser. He's called the accuser of the brethren, isn't he? So he's accusing them before God, and here's a picture of what that looks like. And he says, you put a hedge around him. You won't let me touch him, and you bless him. What do you expect? He's going to worship you. He's going to serve you. And in fact, God had blessed him. God had protected him, and he was serving God. But something needed to be done, and that's something needs to be done in our lives too. And that is... Why do you serve God? And are you going to serve God in thick and thin? Are you going to serve God whether you are blessed or whether you are, are hurt or cursed by God? When good things come your way and when you can't get anything to go right, are you going to serve God? That might happen to you tomorrow. It might happen to you this afternoon. What happens when things don't go well in your life? Satan is betting that you're going to curse God. 
He says that in verse 11, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. He will curse you to your face. Verse 12, Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. In other words, he says, all right, I'm going I'm to give you, I'm going to give you the opportunity. You can impact his possessions, but you can't touch his body. That's what he says to him. You can uh, affect the things that he has, but you cannot affect his physical body. Now, this shows that Job is under trial. There's also, there's no indication here or anywhere in Job that Job is aware of the conference that's going on. <laughs> that's how you and I live. We aren't aware of the meeting that God's having right now. We, don't, uh, we aren't aware of the trials that he's sending our way and the purpose he has behind the scenes. But th- this is what's interesting to me. God allows us to see this in the life of Job so that we can be sure that the similar thing is happening in our life as well. We have a, a, a a camera, so to speak, now into heaven of this incident so we can see what we would not normally be able to see. This shows God's control that he allows Satan to go only so far, and he does that for his purpose. You can question that purpose. You won't get very far in that. But what you can see is that whatever happens is measured by a loving father. It is measured. Now let's see how that measurement looks. Verse 13. Now there was a day. That's the hard part. This day. Here it comes. There's no warning to Job that any of this has happened. It's all behind the scenes, but now it comes. I've I've entitled this this section, verses 12 through 19, Job's calamity, when it rains, it pours. Notice how it happens. There was a day. This is all going to happen in that one day. We see it unfolding. It says... There came a messenger, verse 14, to Job. The first messenger says, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding, and the Sabians fell on them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He said, Job, these thugs came and stole all you got. They took everything and they killed all your servants. I'm the only one left. Notice the one that's left comes to bring the bad news. As Job is perplexed with this information and he's taking this in, it doesn't stop there. The emphasis here is in verse 16. While he was yet speaking, there came another. Verse 18, while he was yet speaking, there came another. Verse 17, while he was yet speaking, there came another. One after another, these things began to happen on this very day in Job's life. One thing, another, and another, and another. 
and it just all just kind of unfolded. You know, you, you know, you've had days like that. You've had trials like that. You have stuff that happens, and as you're trying to figure out this thing that happened, something else, other drama is coming in, and, and it, it becomes just too much for you to handle. Satan, in his strategy, did things this way. He wants to break Job. Now, the Bible tells us that God will only give us what we can handle. So God allowed it to happen this way as well, but for a different purpose. When those trials come, God wants us to look up to him. There's times that we can't, we can't do anything but say, Lord, help me. Would you do that? Would you do that? These things came at him one after another. When it rains, it pours. Can't imagine how Job felt. All of his possessions were gone, and even his very family his sons and his daughters, every servant that he had except the four messengers that came back to give him the bad news. If you look at the great possessions that he had, you have to understand how great the calamity is that all came in one moment. Boom. It said the Sabians... And verse 16 says, the fire of God, the fire of God fell from heaven. Verse 17, it says, Chaldeans again, and then a great wind in verse 19. It was coming from all over. It seems like every enemy he had, even folks that shouldn't have been his enemies, were coming. Even God himself, it seemed, was raining down fire on him. You can feel the weight of that. You can sense what Job was going through. You and I may not have had things to this extreme, but we've had things. We live long enough, we will have things that happen that devastate us. That's where Job is. So let's look at his response in verse 20 through 22. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. Those three things that he did show the anguish of his spirit. Job was in utter anguish. There's just two things that happen at the same time that just seem like they're contradictory, but they really sum up Job. And they really help us to see how God would have us to respond. The one is anguish, and the second is worship. Anguish and worship. We learn from Job that the, both of those things can and, in fact, must happen at the same time. When we have anguish... We express that anguish in appropriate ways, and Job did that. It says that he 
tore his robe. He shaved his head. That was a way of, of, of expressing on the outside what's going on on the inside. It's a way to let others know that this thing is devastating. We usually see it as like a bursting out of tears that normally would not be a part of our nature. But Job is showing and expressing his anguish in clear and distinct and definite ways. But at the same time, he does something that is in line with anguish, even though we don't think of it that way, and that is worship. In the middle of his anguish, it says he fell on the ground and worshiped. Jesus said in John 4:24, those that worship him must worship him what? In spirit and truth. God is basically saying, look, come to me with the stuff that's going on right now and worship. And worship. He didn't say forget about your troubles and push them aside. He said bring them on in here in his worship circle. And then Job says something in this worship that is, is, is just so instrumental and helpful to us. Let's read it. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. So what he does is he reflects. He reflects, and in that reflection brings him to humility. He's saying, I came into this world with nothing and it's sure that whenever I leave, whenever God directs that day to be, and I don't know when that day is, but when it happens, I will leave with nothing. He understands that truth and his reflection calls him to draw upon that truth to bring things into perspective so that he can re be in anguish, yes, but worship. What, what is this anguish? It, what it does is it, in fact, weighs what's happening, weighs the loss. And this loss is tremendous. But it wrestles with the truth that all that I have has been given. I had none of it to start, and I will take none of it with me. I have a box. I have an experience of life that God has given me. He hasn't given us all the same things in this life. You know, we, we complain and, and say, I ain't got what she got. I wish I had that job. I wish I lived in that house. I wish I was a part of that family. I wish I could win the lottery. I wish I could do this. And, and we complain. God has placed you in a box that he placed you. You may never be rich. You may never be as good looking as me. <laughs> Stop complaining about that. <laughs> you understand that box. God has placed each of us in the life that he set us in this time. And he says, that's my purpose. And I gave you a task and you a job and you gifts. Here's the other thing that Job says. 
So he shows his humility. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. We understand that truth, but oftentimes we don't live in that truth. You came here with nothing. God owes you nothing, and you're going to leave with nothing. In fact, it can say God can give you everything, but you can't take none of it with you. And all that he gave you, you didn't do it. God gave it to you. You came in with nothing. You're going to have whatever you have because God gave it to you or allowed you to have it. But after this time period, you can't do anything with that to take it with you. So you recognize that. Then he says this. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Now notice what he says, the Lord gave. He doesn't say the Lord gave and Satan took away. Think about that. He doesn't say Satan took all the stuff God gave me. Wicked Satan. God blessed me with all this and Satan stole it from me. He doesn't say that. He says the Lord gave, the Lord took away. He recognized the sovereignty of God, even in his calamity, to say God gives and God also takes away. But then he says the third thing that shows his trust, because the world can say that. Yeah, God gave, God take it away. In fact, some, some of the world has that attitude. That's, that's why they, they gamble the way they do. <laughs> you know, ain't no big deal. I had the money. Easy come, easy go. And they have that attitude, but they don't have the third part of that. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, God gave, God took away. I praise you, God, for you in your sovereign in your sovereignty, you're in control, and I praise you for it. Not you in control, and I shake my fist at you for it, but you're in control, and I honor you for that, even though I don't understand. He recognized that God has brought this upon him, and you can wrestle with that all you want, but he recognizes that. And you notice, though, that throughout the book, he's going to wrestle with that. I don't understand that, God. That's okay. He acknowledges it, even though he wrestles with it throughout the book. I don't quite understand that. You know, people want to come to me and say, well, well Pastor, explain me this. And I will say, <laughs> Don't put that on me. Ain't no way I'm going to explain you that. Because it ain't no explanation that's given for that. That's in God's sovereign will in his mind. And I don't know all that's in his mind. I don't know why he did what he did. I don't know why he allowed that. I don't know why his timing is what it is. I can guess, I can suppose, I can hope my, I might see reasons or I might see something fulfilling as to what that purpose is. But to be honest with you, I don't know, and you won't either. But you're going to have to serve God just like Job and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gave the Lord has taken away. So he didn't live the rest of his life shaking his fists and spitting at Satan. 
but he acknowledged God, and now he's going to wrestle with that. He's going to wrestle the same way you and I wrestle. Lord, if you're good, why do I have cancer? Lord, if you're good, how come I can't pay this bill? Lord, if you're good, how come we can't fix that roof? Lord, if you're good, why are these seats empty? Lord, if you're good, why do I have conflict in my family? Lord, if you're good, how come I'm still looking for that job? We're going to wrestle with those things, but the way we wrestle defines our faith. And Job says, I ain't got an answer for that, the why, but I do have an answer for this, the who. You are deserving of my worship and my praise. You see, that you got to establish before you get into trouble. <laughs> you can't wait to get into trouble and then discover that. You've got to know that going in. Job knew that going in. He understood and he honored and he trusted God way before these things happened. And that's why God went to Satan and said, have you checked out my servant? He's a bad boy. He's the real deal. And say, no, he ain't. God says, go ahead. Give him your best. At the end of it, Job does what each of us must do. And that is, we must honor God even though we don't understand what he's doing and why he's doing it. You and I get the picture that Job didn't see. We get to read chapter 1. Job never got to read that. He didn't read verses 12 through 19 to see what was happening in heaven. He had to trust God. He had to know that God is good ahead of time and set himself to trust him. But God has called us to that arena of faith today. That's all going to be shown to be true in the end. But we're not in the end yet. And that's where faith is necessary here. Steadfast, steadfastness under trial. Jesus showed it for our sake. He was steadfast to the Father's will for our sake. He took on our sin. He represented us. He endured the cross. He suffered. He bled. He died. And he had faith. And God was going to, in fact, raise him up again. That God was going to accomplish his full purpose in his death and in his resurrection. He had no doubts of that. Now, did he want to go through that suffering? He said, Lord, if it's possible, take this from me. I, 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 you know, I don't want to get beat. I don't want to get tortured. I don't, don't want to have thorns pressed on my head. But, Lord... Nevertheless, your will be done. That's your way. I accept it. I embrace it. I trust you. You don't understand all that God is doing, and neither do I. But you're called to trust. Now, God is showing that a man, a human being, can do that. Job did it. He's our example that we can trust and serve God in the midst of mystery, confusion, and under attack from Satan, we can serve God. Father, I thank you for your word today. I pray that you would pour that 
message out to us so that we would trust you. Even in our anguish, we would worship you. We would honor you when we don't understand. We'd be a testimony for your glory. Perhaps you're going through a trial right now. You don't understand, but you want to ask for God's help. You want to ask for God's strength. And you want to cry out to God. I want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand? I can pray for you. Amen. 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 I see that hand. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for what your word says when we can't, we don't know from our own experience, but by faith brings the truth into our experience as good as if we'd experienced it ourselves. Help these who've raised their hand to be steadfast under the trial. It's not easy, Lord, and you... You know it's not easy, but your help is available. Lord, I pray that you pour out your grace in their lives. <clears throat> I pray, as your word says, those who trust in you will not be ashamed. You are rock. You are sure foundation. And it's when we go through these trials, we find that we can rest on you. We see you for who you are when we encounter these kind of trials, and we thank you for that. Hold these ones together, Lord. Help them to read your word so that they can see more and more those who trusted in you like Job. You said faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. Give them a diet of your truth that they would depend and trust in you and not fall away when the trials come. We thank you now in Jesus' name.